This is an ABC podcast. Good morning. This is Pacific Meet on ABC Radio Australia. Today on the show, countries around the Pacific mark the coronation of Charles III as their new king. King Charles has been a part of our journey as a sovereign nation since 1975. And we have come to love him and cherish him. And after battling hardship and mismanagement, the Fijiana and Drua become super W champions yet again. Fijiana and Drua, 2023, a year of so much adversity, but so much belief. They go back to back. And Vanuatu's government looks to employ everyday people as rhinoceros beetle exterminators. We'll find out why and how later in the show. All that and more this Monday morning. I'm Priyanka Srinivasan. So glad to have your company. Though the pomp and glamour of King Charles III's coronation might be over, but for some on the island of Tanna in Vanuatu, a special relationship with the new monarch has only just begun. A traditional ceremony was held on the island to mark the king's ascension to the throne. And as Evan Wasuka reports, the links between Tanna Island and the new king is quite unique. God save the king! At London's Westminster Abbey and in front of a global television audience, the trumpets announced the crowning of a new king. Some 16,000 kilometres away, celebrations were also underway on the island of Tana in Vanuatu. The people of this particular village share a spiritual bond with the monarch's father, the late Prince Philip. He was seen as a physical representation of an ancient warrior leader. Anthropologists say the link to Prince Philip was formed after he gifted a white pig to a member of the Tana community during a 1974 royal tour of the Pacific. The gift fell in line with an ancient prophecy. Remy Kali, a provincial leader, says that bond was strengthened over the years with the exchange of gifts and visits. It is their spiritual belief that says, well, they believe Prince Philip is from Tana and his relationship with Tana goes back a long way. He has already come to visit Vanuatu already. They even made a walking stick and sent it to Prince Philip. He took that walking stick and sent a picture of himself back to the village. That connection lives here today. I think it's true and that's why today we are here to mark his son, King Charles III, coronation. The day's events included a flag-raising ceremony where the Union Jack was raised and they were singing and dancing. As the king's representative in Vanuatu, Michael Waters, the UK's acting high commissioner, was the chief guest of the ceremony, with up to a thousand people gathered at Yonanan village. Keeping with tradition, several large portraits of the new king were gifted to the villages. 
At sunset, the festivity is wrapped up with a traditional kava ceremony and a historical twist for the acting high commissioner. This is the shell where they brought in Tana to Port Vila, uh-huh. and the king drink in the same shell that you, you would drink today. On behalf of the coronation, to wish him a good leadership and also God bless the king. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was Michael Waters speaking to people there on Tanna Island. Uh, Michael is the acting British High Commissioner to Vanuatu, and he was ending that report from Evan Wasuka. You're listening to Pacific Beach this Monday morning. Now, Vanuatu wasn't the only country to celebrate the royal coronation. Members of Papua New Guinea's Defence Force brought out the bagpipes, as you were hearing just then, to honour their new monarch. As a constitutional monarchy, PNG recognises King Charles III as King of Papua New Guinea. A state event was held at the Sir Hubert Murray Stadium in Port Moresby to mark the coronation. Prime Minister James Marape says King Charles III has a long association with the country, dating back to when he was still a schoolboy. King Charles has been a part of our journey as a sovereign nation since 1975. And we have come to love him and cherish him, just as we have loved and cherished his mother, our late queen, over her long reign as head of our state. And neighbouring Solomon Islands also welcomed Charles III as its new king. A national service was held at St. Barnabas at Cathedral to commemorate the coronation. And across the Pacific too, governor generals and dignitaries also attended the royal coronation in London. But uh, for some, the royal coronation wasn't a cause for celebration. Rather, it served as a stark reminder of the suffering Indigenous communities suffered at the hands of the British Empire. One Maori artist from Aotearoa, New Zealand, decided to do something about the relentless royal news, developing a web plugin to block it out. Hamiora Bailey joins us now. Uh, Good morning to you, Hamiora. Good morning, Grandka. Um, now, I, I, I feel like I should uh, open this interview with a bit of an apology for all the news uh, coverage of the coronation here on ABC. Um, is, <laughs> is that part of what inspired this um, this plug-in to block out this news, that there was just too much of it? Uh, I, I, there's no need to apologize. I think the biggest <laughs> inspiration was... Um, was around uh, Indigenous and First Nations peoples who are uh, working within uh, journalism and media. And so really I just wanted to create an opportunity to highlight local news, um, similar to what you're doing in ABC, you know, focusing on um, the Pacific and on Indigenous stories. So it's really about uplifting um, and acknowledging our Indigenous writers across the globe. Um, Cancelling out the monarchy, I guess, is um, is a great kind of provocation. Uh, also, you know, for myself as an artist uh, with social practice and public art as a background. <laughs> mm. Yeah, very interesting because it is, um, I mean, you you have this interesting mix then of talents where you are able to develop something quite technical like this, this plug-in. Um, but you said you were an artist as well. Is, is that right? Yes, so my background's in public 
public art and social practice, um, so kind of participatory um, public art. And, and the digital side of things was um, kind of handled by Kalenzo BBDO, which is a creative agency here in Aotearoa. Um, Logan Marie, who's the head of innovation and technology, uh, is of Tahitian descent, and uh, the head integrated producer, Charlotte Glennon, um, as well as the head digital producer to Neil Barnes are both Manamuano from the Pacific. So um, I partnered with the agency to kind of deliver this in one week. <laughs> oh, wow. What a, what a tough ask. Um, I mean, how, can you step us through for our listeners um, who might not have used it? Um, how does this plugin exactly work? So you uh, go to www.pkarimai.com. Uh, and you click install on Google Chrome or install on Mozilla Firefox, and then it basically does a keyword search on any uh, website that's open on your browser. So any tab you have open, it does a keyword search, and then when it finds words or images linked to the coronation, it does what we call a scrape. Um, So it removes those images, redacts the writing, and instead uh, replaces it with um, this article has been replaced by Indigenous news, and then it has headlines uh, from around the world from Indigenous writers on Indigenous issues. Uh, So instead of receiving news about the coronation, you'll receive news uh, about what's affecting our people um, and the positive news stories that we have as Indigenous folk around the globe. Oh, interesting. Yes, because that's what I was going to ask. What sort of, you know, Indigenous news can span all sorts of things? Are you selecting exactly what news um, gets replaced or or um, is it really, really anything that replaces these uh, these coronation stories? No, so I curate it um, oh. <laughs> every day. So oh I my start gosh. my morning with a, with a deep dive um, across different media outlets. Um, and then the ones that I've been really specific in the curation because uh, not only do we have to make sure that Indigenous writers are writing the articles, but also that the messaging and that the um, the articles themselves are framed from what, what I like to call an abundant lens. Mm-hmm. So no deficit frameworks. Um, hopefully, you know, really what we're trying to do is show all of the positive work that we're doing in our own communities and our own nations. Wow, Hamiara, you, you've got a, a lot going on then, curating this and also <laughs> putting it together in a week. I'm, I'm quite amazed. I mean, how long will it last for? Hopefully not your mornings for forever aren't, aren't um, based on curating <laughs> this, this website. I think, yes, it's such an interesting question. There's been, a, you know, originally when we launched it, we only launched it um, for local news here in New Zealand or Aotearoa and then it was our iwi toki toki or, or uh, indigenous nations from across the globe and their people kind of reaching out that caused us to pivot. Mm. Um, and in Tao Māori, we like to consider whakapapa, you know, so we, we consider um, the genealogical history and the lifespan of things and everything that we do. So as long as there's a need for it, um, it will be there. And I guess uh, the most exciting thing, I think, is that it's made people question uh, lens, you know, as opposed uh, in terms of what they're reading and why they're reading it. Um, and also, you know, current affairs um, and and what impacts them most. So it's an interesting, it's been a really interesting learning for myself even. I haven't put a timeline on it yet. Um, I'm working with our developer here to consider what a, uh, <laughs> what a, 
you know, ways that we could uh, use technology to, to lessen the workload. But, mm. uh, <laughs> yes. but it's, it is, um, it, you know, it's an honor to kind of be working on this project and to be imbuing it with uh, my own life force and my own whakapapa and then the collective practice of, you know, our people around the globe. So uh, I'm not sure <laughs> how long it will last, but I don't mind doing it. And I don't think, um, you know, I don't think the, the team or the whānau working on it do either. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's been around for, for uh, about a week now. Is that right, Hamura? I mean, what's been the reaction to people who have used it? The reaction's been massive. Uh, it's been seen, I think, in over 1,100 over 75 countries. Wow. Um, so the last time we checked, 40% of the globe had used it. Um, there's been all sorts of reactions, even from kind of Western media and conversations around, uh, you know, kind of breaking away from the monarchy or, or looking at Aotearoa becoming a republic. Mm. Um, there's been great support, like I've said, from Indigenous communities around the globe. Um, I think also, you know, uh, people enjoy the the fact that the kind of ahua or the energy and the visual design or look and feel of it um, is youthful and fun. Uh, I think, again, the kind of abundant framework of curating uh, the articles that go into it, people are really appreciating as well. So there's been great response. You know, it's interesting, the Facebook channel, which is, I guess, one way that we're promoting it, of course, is receiving uh, perhaps the the most varying viewpoints, um, but we're trying really hard not to centre whiteness and and not to centre, um, you know, d- deficit frameworks. We want to uplift our own people, our own journalists, and our own stories, and so we're really grounded in. Uh, in that, you know, and in our goals. (laughs) Mm, Yes, interesting. I mean, you mentioned some of the negative feedback. I mean, is that sort of centred on, 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 I mean, I guess essentially your plugin replaces coronation news with Indigenous news. Do you think some of the negative reactions sort of see that as something defiant and perhaps subversive? I think so. And I think, you know, uh, in my art practice, I always try really hard to, to not allow these very nuanced conversations of history and legacy to be rendered into a really dangerous binary. And I think um, when you're looking at a tool that uh, switches the lens or, or empowers one community that looks to kind of dismantle uh, structures or frameworks of power, um, I think people read it as a binary, which is where the response comes from. Although that's not our intention, I I can understand how people see it in that way. And I think that is more about uh, what the negative reaction is, is that, um, yes, there are some fans of the monarchy, and yes, there are people that still subscribe and benefit from the power structures that are in place. Um, That also, when you show things to be really binary and you show a sense of defiance, um, they want to meet you, I guess, with uh, violence or, you know, lateral violence. Mm-hmm. But, you know, of course, uh, as as Indigenous people and as Pacific people, you know, Māori will always step into tikanga and, and we will lead by uh, example and demonstrate. So that's what we're trying to do is, you know, remind people as well that although the option is there to turn off or switch off news about the monarchy, we're aware that it's not a binary solution and that there never will be one. This is just a provocation and a, and a solution for people who want to um, have control over the news they see at this time. 
Mm, very interesting. And if you are just tuning in to Pacific Beat, we're talking about this well, new um, website. Uh, it's a well, website plugin that you can access through the website picarimai.co.nz. We're speaking to the artist behind it, Hamiora Bailey, a Maori artist from Aotearoa, who developed this plugin to, I guess, um, some would say maybe put back the balance when it comes to royal news versus indigenous news. The plugin sort of replaces royal gossip, coronation news, which might be flooding your your pages recently, with indigenous news curated by Hamiyoro himself, um, indigenous news by indigenous authors. Um, now you were talking there, Hamiyoro, how your art, this particularly this um, plugin, has inspired conversations around, you know, perhaps becoming a republic there in New Zealand and questioning what the monarchy means to people today. What what do you believe the royal family represents to you and um, your society there? Um, uh, it's interesting. I know that um, you know Matuarawiti uh, and Matu. Bawuri and and Jeb here in Te Pāti Māori and Aotearoa, you know, have started a petition to call for Aotearoa to become a republic. Mm-hmm. I know that Chris Hipkins uh, said that you know he's interested in an Aotearoa becoming a republic, but doesn't think necessarily that it's a priority right now. Um, and I think Pikari Mai is, is just uh, a testament, I guess, of those viewpoints. Uh, perhaps the the former you know, shared by Te Pāti Māori. Um, uh, personally, you know, I believe in mana motuhaketanga. I believe in self-determination. Uh, I think it's always very interesting when, um, you know, tangata tiriti uh, or, or people who acknowledge uh, that they descend from um, the signing of te tiriti or waitangi, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think there's a distinct... Um, kind of delineation between um, people who understand, I guess, um, our constitutional documents here in Aotearoa and people who who don't. And I would say that, you know, as it stands, the, the country of Aotearoa or our nation as New Zealand, perhaps, um, doesn't honour tupidity as it stands. And I think, personally, I would imagine, when I think of Indigenous futurisms and I think of my own future, you know, in the future for my own tamariki, my own children, I imagine them growing up in an Aotearoa um, that that does um, bring to life that constitutional document in everything that it does, you know, at a at a, at a constitutional level um, and also at a relational level. So mm. uh, I imagine an Indigenous future for my country and I imagine it uh, independent, you know, and Māori-led. Um, that's how I feel personally. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, that's, I mean, it's very interesting what, what you say because I'm sure it strikes a chord with a lot of our listeners around the Pacific. I mean, there are countries in the Pacific that still count the king as their um, as their king, you know, um, with Solomon Islands, Papua New Guinea, to just name a couple. Um, so, so it is a conversation I'm sure many families with this coronation uh, are talking about at the moment. Um, if they install this plug-in and, you know, have this experience of having, you know, royal news replaced with indigenous news... What do you hope that they reflect upon? What do you hope the impact will be on them? I hope that they just see um, perhaps, you know, the the sharing of lived experience and of pakiwaitara uh, or of storytelling. I think the bravery of um, our Indigenous journalists across the globe who 
uh, are oftentimes, you know, storytellers in their own communities that are having to cover um, the mainstream and then also uplift um, local news as well. I hope they can appreciate, um, you know, perhaps uh, the visioning or the imagination of not having to participate um, in, in these structures. You know, I... I've always kind of said in this process, this is much more of a imagine if we didn't have to, then we should not. Um, so I, I hope that it inspires them to kind of dream outside of um, the context that they might be um, living kind of day to day and imagine solutions where, you know, they're prioritizing um, Indigenous peoples and, and you know, finding solutions that are grounded, um, you know, with, their people coming first, not saying that participating in the monarchy doesn't mean you can't do that, but I think um, that's all I'm I'm kind of hoping, you know, is that we incite kind of conversations of, I didn't realise I could turn it off, or I didn't realise I didn't have to participate, that mm. there were ways uh, around it. And so I hope that people, yeah, begin to consider ways around it and and, you know, the role that technology plays within that, the role that art plays within that, and the role that storytelling plays within that. When we made this, you know, it was much more of a creative intervention um, and an exciting design piece when we were doing the work. You know, we were excited about um, the design and about the technology and about the storytelling. It wasn't until it was out in the world and people received it that I guess we realized um, how political it was. <laughs> We always knew that it was, you know, going to be something. But I think that's the role, especially for us as Indigenous people and as storytellers and as Ringatoi or as artists, you know, our solutions can be multifaceted and, and really exciting. So I hope that's what people see. I hope they appreciate that. Yes, well, Hamira, it's definitely been enlightening for me as a journalist to, um, yes, go through it and, and see just the amount of, of stories and, and, yes, as I mentioned, perhaps some might say an imbalance in stories focused on, on royalty um, rather than Indigenous <laughs> experience. So thank you for that. A very interesting um, website and, and chat to you, Hamira. Thank you for your time on Pacific Beat. You're welcome. Thank you, Priyanka. Have a great day. You too. That was Maori artist Hamiora Bailey. He created this Picamari, uh, Picari Mai, sorry, .co.nz um, plugin that you can access there. Um, and yes, have your royal news replaced with indigenous news. You're listening to Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. You are listening to Pacific Beat. I'm your host, Priyanka Srinivasan. Now, it was a fairy tale ending for the Fijiana and Drua over the weekend. They won their second consecutive Super W Championship, marking the end to a season of hardship and challenges for the Fiji women's team. To take us through it all is Naomi Roberts, passionate supporter and campaigner for the Fijiana. Uh, welcome to Pacific Beat again, Naomi. Thank you. Thank you. And um, it's a great morning from Townsville, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you were at the game. I am at, I was at the game and I'm still here enjoying a couple more days before I return to um, cold Sydney tomorrow. <laughs> oh, wonderful. So how, how was it, Naomi? Because I'm very jealous that you were able to see it all in action. I mean, many, many people ruled out Fijiana from, from taking this win. Did you also question their ability? How did it, how did it feel out there seeing it all unfold at the stadium? Um, 
Well, it was electrifying, just like flying onto the plane coming here to actually realize that um, the grand final win, like back-to-back win, was within grasp. Mm. And um, to be here and witness it all, I I think it's like an Olympic win for a little nation (laughs) like Fiji. The win was um, huge for us and for them especially, yeah. Yeah, did you expect it to, to happen? Did you expect them to overcome some of the difficulties? Um. Well, in um, like looking back now, mm-hmm. from the beginning, I thought they had a good. They didn't have a chance. It was just because the Australian girls were getting, uh, starting to get paid, and you know, like mm-hmm. we are moving into a um, an elite world of rugby, um, and to see the girls coming through, I'm thinking, okay, the money is a big um, game player in any um, games in any elite sports and for the Australian girls to be starting getting paid. And I'm thinking, okay, this is another factor that's going to be put into the Fijian girls coming into this um, tournament. And that was my only um, thing that I was thinking of. I know they had grit and guts and everything that comes with it. They are very determined. And if you put them in a hole, that's when, yeah, they come out big uh, fighters. So um, I never doubted that side of them. But to me, you know, just having that finance, which finally played into their hands because they use it. They use that negative to become a, a big uh, fighting tool for them too. Yeah. Mm. So um, it, it was good. It was there. There was a little doubt, but um, yeah, they came out fighting. Their determination didn't fail to, um, I, I, I banked on that and they came out winning. Yeah. yeah. Well, as you said, Naomi, they've been able to, I guess, use the negatives to propel them um, forward. Uh, let's, let's look at closely at those negatives though, because it really did mark this season as far as the Fijiana w- were concerned. Um, I mean, they faced obstacles that wouldn't you say no professional team would really be expected to face in this day and age. They were turned away from a restaurant at one stage in Brisbane just a couple of weeks ago before this final because of unpaid bills. There are reports that this, the same situation faced them in hotels around the country as well. Um, how was it as a supporter seeing this happen to you know your your team, the Fijian and Drua? And what, how, what impact do you think it had on on them and and supporters like you? Yeah, well, I've been supporting and like following the um, the Fijiana for a while now. You know, it's been since the first time the Fijiana Sevens was introduced into the world rugby. This, we're talking back 1998, 1999. And um, so it's been about 25 years now, you know, around that um, around the time and been following the, the heartaches the girls fall. So and the original girls that were there from the beginning, they've gone through something similar. Like we've um, looked after them when they come for sevens tournament when it was not even um, an elite um, level for women, but they were traveling back then. They were in the background and um, the money was always finance sponsorship was only, was always the downside to the, to their preparation. But given like, I think they've got more grits than any team in the world. I can say that now from after they've gone through and um, they just needed to be on the field with a rugby ball. They'll carry that grit with them. They just, just need a good feed on the morning and they'll play their hearts out on the day. And, and they showed that, you know, they've been down, they've been through worse and it just came out to light now because of the change um, 
with uh, the FRU mm-hmm. being in, in administration, but they've, they've I, I can tell now that they've been through the same thing for a few years, but it didn't come to light because no one was game enough to come out, come forward. Right. And, uh, and now because the change of government, people believed in that the, this, the government of the day will do something and they did something. They came in and, um, and, and did what they had to do. And now the, the world rugby and the world rugby community finally realized how a mess the FRU has been in. <laughs> and it's thanks to our women's rugby. They've put that, they've um, yeah, turned that on for the world to see what, uh, what's been happening. And uh, so a good thing came out of it. So I think it's going to be a better sailing from now on for the Nrua. Oh, well, I mean, you sound, you sound, you know, you're definitely looking at the silver lining but I mean it was it was mismanagement we seem to understand or, or at least you know from understanding that, that there was an acquittal that didn't go through and that's why the funds were held up at FIU and that's why the team's um, restaurants that they were accessing, accessing weren't paid etc cetera, etc cetera. There, there was a bit of a mess as you as you talk, talked about just then do you think that the the women now after this win deserve a apology they really deserve the apology from of course, from FRU being being the being the caretaker of them when they're on tour or when they leave their home to be in camp. So um, I think the apology um, from the nation needs to come. I saw uh, Mr. the Prime Minister, Mr. Um, Sitiveni Rambuka, actually said um, congr- congratulating the team and uh, said that they had fall short. So mm-hmm. that is a big plus to hear that uh, hear uh, Mr. Rambuka coming forward to say that the Fijians actually fall short in um, yeah in plugging the hole where it was shot. So. Um, admitting to that is a big plus. So uh, I am pretty sure there will be um, an apology, a public apology given to the girls and to the family, especially for um, leaving these girls in the hands um, yeah, of the a- uh, FRU. So um, yes. to me, like I just look, I just look at the positive side, you know, they've shown the light on what has been a messy situation for a long time and, and to um, do it with a win. I think it's going to be, um, yeah, it's been said. It's been a sad story for them coming through, but uh, it has it has also helped them come forward and uh, put on the biggest show of their lives. Mm. Yeah. Yes, I mean, if there ever is a, a, I guess, a motto to carry with the Fijiana, particularly this season, is "We have overcome." And apparently, this was the song oh. that was that was um, sung, the Fijian song. Um, after or just before leading her squad um, after the win, sorry. Um, and in fact, Bitila Tawake, um, the, the captain of the Fijian and Druna, she said, it hasn't been the easiest years. We've been through so much. Um, that's what she said just before she led the, the team into this song, We Have Overcome. Um, I mean, it seems like that's, that's really the motto here. But do you hope, do you hope in the yeah. future, Naomi, that overcoming won't be the focus of of the team that it will be that they'll be able to just play uh, play to their talents and not have anything else uh in front of them oh can, uh, can you imagine that they'll be world beaters if they <laughs> yeah like you said if they've overcome they don't need to overcome i think we are now on the right spot for them to move forward and just play like any other normal team you know you left their left everything else for the administrators things they can't control they just control their their games and control their mind on game day but you know there were lots of side things happening for them to be yeah and like you said we've been overcome was because they've been overcoming little obstacles <laughs> along the 
the way, which were big obstacles on the eve of uh, the last pool game, I think, which was against Queensland. And this is when all these things um, hit the roof. Uh, and that was just a day, be, uh, a week before the semi-final. So yeah. I think the timing, the timing of this big um, eruption, of you may call it, that uh, has been enveloping them from the the beginning of uh, Fiji Women's Rugby, finally came through and um, come, came out. And the change of government, the administration of the AFRU, I think everything was all aligned and. Um, you know, it was worse as it, as it is, but um, to be finally come out just before their big dance, <laughs> the, the big semifinal against the uh, Waratahs, that uh, Waratahs was having a good, perfect run throughout the season, and to be beaten by this team that's, that was on the uh, headline spotlight for the very wrong reason and not because of rugby. Um, yeah, I I think they have overcome now everything and it is it should be good sailing now and they should play because they are there for the game and not for the political side and everything else that yes. comes with uh, what they've been going through. Yes, indeed. Um, if you are just tuning in to Pacific Beat this Monday morning, we're speaking to <coughs> Naomi Roberts, a massive fan of the Fijiana Indrua, um, a former um, Warta, I believe yourself, Naomi. Um, and we are talking about this amazing, amazing season from the Fijiana Indrua. They've, they've overcome. They overcome being turned away from a restaurant because funds weren't paid um, from the management, the FIU, the Fiji Rugby Union. They overcome I guess um, changes in leadership at the FIU as well. The the, um, the whole a whole governing body was um, turned over just, just a week or a couple of weeks ago. Um, and they've overcome, you know, the, the regular hardships as we're finding that, that face a lot of players. And, and Naomi, I wanted to ask you about that, some of the inequalities that we've been touching on here. Um, because it was a good weekend for both the Fijian and Drua, as we're discussing, and the men's team, the Fijian and Drua, who defeated the Wellington Hurricanes in Suva. Yet, Naomi, you might know this, the Fiji Times, the front and back page of the Fiji Times yesterday, was just on the men's match. What do you believe? Of the, uh, what do you think of that? Is, is it a bit disappointing there to see that the Super W champions, the two-time champions now, weren't given prime coverage in local media? Wow. Um, no, I don't. I didn't realize that. Um, you know, I always try and think of why would they do that. So my answer will always like instead of just going straight in, like I, mm. I try and think why would they do that. So. Probably because the women played late and they didn't didn't go <laughs> <Maybe>. to press. <laughs> Maybe it's <laughs> because easy the men that. played earlier. The time difference. They we you know they were two hours ahead, but they should be on the same. They should be on the same table by now. You know, like uh, that's what we would like to see. Um, they come to the top table and they sit together, and and it should be um, equal. Well, we we've been fighting for equal um, to realize gender equality in sports, and and this is why. We are so fortunate to have DFET, uh, the Pacific Osports program through the Australian government, for this particular fight for the um, for the girls to be. Um, yeah, I, I'm disappointed if um, if they were just missed because they are a women's sports team. Um, that that is 
that is sad. I, I find that sad. But in a way, I have to, I don't know the um, the background to that. All I could think of, like I could just say that they probably were late. The results <laughs> came in late for the Fiji that, Times when it went, when it went to press. That That is um, a very yeah. um, diplomatic and we don't know. We haven't reached out to the Fiji Times. So let's hope that's, a, no, that's the case. Yeah. Um, but Naomi, as, as I mentioned, well, I think I mis, mis- said that you you kept you kept by the Wallaroos at full back, um, I believe, in in your career. Um, did you notice that was there a disparity there? Do you think there's still work to be done in terms of coverage, media coverage, but also resources for for women's and men's teams? Well, you you know, with media, they they, they will um, they will do a story that will get the um, the what do you call it the, the public. The, the, Advertising, you know, and uh, the big win, we've been, uh, of course, Fijian men's rugby will always be up there. The girls are finding a spot and they're coming through. And the win back at home, even though big, I think the Super W win was much bigger. So um, they are still fighting to get up there. And uh, um, I think I'm lost now. <laughs> <laughs> just just, just your mention of that, I, that that hit me. I didn't realise again. Well, yeah. and we don't know why as, as well. But, um, you know, we shouldn't focus on the negatives. This is amazing, an yeah. amazing, amazing win for the Fijiana and Drua. Twice Super W victors. And just to show how amazing this win was, this is the sounds that we heard in the Fiji airport as the Indrua, the Fijiana and Drua touched down. Just listen, listen to some of these celebrations. Mm. So those are the yeah, celebrations yeah, at the airport, and I'm sure everyone is joining in for those claps and singing um, Fijiana's mm. praise after this massive win. And Naomi, thank you so much for your time this morning on Pacific Beat. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And um, yeah, it's been a pleasure to um, talk with you. Thank you. And that was Naomi Roberts. Massive uh, blue wiggers, the 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 fans of um, the Fijiana and Drua talking about that amazing Super W win over the weekend. ABC Radio Australia brings you Rugby League. O'Sullivan to Dylan Edwards through a gap, he's got a score! Every big moment across a massive season. It's hammer time for the Dolphins! That was amazing footwork, brilliant. The latest news and expert opinion on everything Rugby League. We're loving Rugby League in 2023. Stream online at ABC Pacific. Or listen live right here on ABC Radio Australia, your home of Rugby League in the Pacific. It's time to find out what's been making news around the Pacific. And to do that, we're joined by Carl Evans. Good morning, Carl. Good morning, Priyanka. Um, now, this is a story we've been following here on Pacific Beat about Marshall Islands trust funds. There were concerns that um, it was being depleted. This was a trust fund being used to compensate nuclear, well, the the f- victims and the, the subsequent generations from um, the nuclear testing that happened in the Marshall Islands, um, you know, in the 90s. 
uh, well, not in the 90s, sorry, in the, in the, in, in the last few decades, let's say, um, the government, US government has issued a statement about this. Can you um, say, tell us what the statement said? That's right. So it was brief. However, the Department of Interior has stated uh, they're currently reviewing what actions need to be taken uh, with respect to, uh, to that Uh, to those funds, which is the the Bikini Resettlement Trust Fund. They also said they've actually received the current balance of the fund as well as other related financial documents. However, they don't explicitly say uh, how much is currently in that fund to date. But according to the New York Times, only about $100,000 remains, and and they reported that it was almost $60 not too long ago, back in 2017. So a substantial... It looks like a substantial amount has been uh, has been taken out. And interesting enough, 2017, it was around that time that the government actually entrusted the management of the fund to the local government body uh, of the Marshall Islands uh, after a campaign for, for greater, greater autonomy. Yes, very interesting. And it was in 1946, or well, between 1946 and 1958, that that nuclear testing happened on Bikini Atoll. And it's the, um, as you were saying, Carl, the, the I guess, um, generations subsequent to those, um, those who were on, well, who were relocated from those islands during that time, who, I guess, get um, some of this trust money. And um, yes, you mentioned New York Times there, but our own reporter, Marion Farr at Pacific Beat, also covered um, some of that scandal around the missing missing dollars as well. You can head onto the ABC Pacific website to uh, f- listen to a um, story and and um, yeah get get up to date about that because it is a very concerning and, and interesting uh, news story there. Um, and now let's head to an English news outlet which has appeared to make light of the climate change disasters and dangers confronting Tuvalu during a live broadcast. I believe this was during the coronation, was that right? Yeah, that is right. So uh, British Sky News uh, made somewhat of an inappropriate joke, I think, uh, on the matter while discussing King Charles's coronation during that broadcast. They uh, were kind of making fun uh, of the fact that uh, the country Tuvalu uh, is in danger of sinking. Um, Here's what they had to say. It's very clear. He will serve as long as any particular nation wants him to. Yeah, Tuvalu. Is that the one who wanted to stay Tuvalu. the most? Yeah, well, they're, they're about to go underwater. So <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope there's snorkels on. <laughs> Maybe he should speak out. First of all. It's very oh. clear. He will serve as long... Yeah, so uh, interesting that they find it funny. Um, I don't think too many people in Tuvalu or anywhere in the Pacific, for that matter, would not, would find it funny. And uh, and people on social media didn't find it funny either, with uh, none not taking too kindly to it. Lots of face palms, uh, angry emojis, and uh, and probably for good reason, Priyanka. Mm, yes, I, I mean, I, I it seems like they were just making you know it's that TV banter we often do at Kyle, where we where we chat in between segments, try and feel time. But, you know, you'd think that in this day and age, they'd just be a bit more considerate about what they say. The fact that things do get broadcast, do get picked up. Um, you know, even just cringy hearing how they pronounce the country that they're talking mm. about, Tuvalu, instead of Tuvalu. If you're gonna, if you're gonna bother, you know, <laughs> mentioning a country, you know, at least get get it right. And then not to mention making light of, of a very serious and, and in fact probably one of the priorities of its um, foreign government, climate change. Yeah, it's just it's just got bad bad optics all around it. But but I mean, you know, there are two sides for any story. What do you think? Having listened to that, grab listeners, um, get in touch with us at ABC Pacific. Do you think that um, that that furor on social media was uh, well placed, or do you think, you know, 
these Sky News presenters perhaps you know were making a, a bit of a joke and shouldn't shouldn't be uh, pen, punished or penalized for that um yes do get in touch at ABC Pacific I'd love to hear what you think um, now, we've just been chatting to Naomi Roberts about that massive Fijiana and Drua um, Super W win, but they weren't the only Pacific team to record a big win. What else has been happening, Kyle? No, that's right. Their male counterparts actually had a huge win as well. Uh, the, uh, the Fiji and Drua defeated the Hurricanes 27 to 24 in Suva. Uh, the second time this year they've slayed a major New Zealand heavyweight uh, at home. Obviously they beat the Crusaders earlier in the year as well. And very similar to that match, uh, it was the hero Kemu uh, uh, Valtini who was the hero again after he converted a, uh, a penalty try to deliver the, and drew up the match. So that win took them to 4-6 and six on the season and 8th uh, on the ladder. Yes, amazing stuff there. And um, how about the PNG Hunters? How did they go? Yeah, good win for them as well. Somewhat expected, given they were versing the Ipswich Jets, who are currently sitting at the bottom of the ladder. But uh, comfortable win, forty to twenty-eight. Uh, really impressive. Uh, seven try scorers all up. Some some really really impressive tries as well. One of which was scored uh, scored by uh, More More, who I think I we've guess. heard a bit heard of a bit this season. But uh, yeah, no, good on good on the Hunters. Yes, wonderful news there um, for Pacific teams all around. Thanks, Kyle. Thank you, Priyanka. That was Kyle Evans bringing us the latest from around the Pacific. You're listening to Pacific Beat this Monday morning. I'm Priyanka Srinivasan. Now to New Caledonia, where hundreds of personnel from 19 countries have spent the last fortnight taking part in a huge French military exercise in the Pacific. The roughly 3,000 personnel included representatives from Tonga, Fiji, Papua New Guinea and Vanuatu. Australia represented the largest contingent in a sign of cooperation after a tense couple of years for relations with France. Kathleen Calderwood with this report. A Pacific postcard, but it's no holiday. This Quadisud is the largest uh, in this uh, iteration of this series of exercise. It's got the largest number of ships, the largest number of aircraft, and the greatest number of land forces. Led by the French Armed Forces in New Caledonia, the exercise, 1,500 kilometres east of Queensland, is practising a response to a fictional tsunami hitting the island territory. After the French, Australia have contributed the largest contingent of 240 personnel. Australia has an essential role because it is a big country here in the South Pacific. It's the biggest. This exercise in an Australian aircraft dropping humanitarian aid to a remote community. Being able to drop stores in Australian invention called the Helibox and that, it, that allows us to drop small amounts of stores into areas where there's no drop zone traditionally. 19 countries in total are represented, including several Pacific nations as well as the US and UK. The Pacific is prone to natural disasters. Uh, and uh, this type of exercises, uh, you know, get everybody together to train together uh, in support of our people. The more we work together, the, the more secure we are, and um, that's definitely our approach. Australia's decision to ditch a multi-billion dollar French submarine contract in favour of nuclear-powered subs as part of the AUKUS deal might still be the elephant in the room. Do you think he lied to you? I don't think. I know. But all countries seem intent on moving on. 
Despite the problems, France's place here in the Pacific is important because it's completely integral to Australia's, New Zealand's and Japan's force to eventually confront any threats that might arise in the Pacific. Australia sits very comfortably working with the Southwest Pacific as well as very comfortable working with our European NATO allies. That was Captain John Cowan. He's the Australian Defence Force Contingent Commander for that exercise. And you also heard from the French High Commissioner in New Caledonia there. Kathleen Caldwood was the reporter and also had some help from Cooper Williams there in New Caledonia. And with that, we are at the end of Pacific Beat for this Monday morning. Reminder of our top stories, we had a look uh, at the Pacific response to the coronation of King uh, Charles III over the weekend. Uh, some side, every sides to that story um, that you would expect from the Pacific as well. If you want to catch up, you can head over to ABC Pacific Online to uh, have a re-listen to any of those stories. I'm Priyanka Srinivasan. Hope you have a lovely day.